0: and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, if you got your Bibles, we are in Acts 17, 1 through 9, as Pastor Kevin uh, just, just read for us this morning. Uh, and and the, these uh, these fun, we were debating uh, just before he came up how to pronounce some of these cities. I cheat and look look it up in my Logos Bible Study pro- software But but I think I think he nailed them. So uh, well well done well done, Pastor Kevin. Hey uh, again, if you got your Bibles, Acts 17. It's in your bulletin. Uh, It's going to be up on the screen, and we're going to dive into to the text in just a moment. But but this morning, we're we're talking about what what it is to be uh, a a countercultural people. We we talk a, a lot. Uh, we talk to our twins a lot about uh, what it means to follow Jesus uh, and, and to, to live for him. And, uh, but inevitably, uh, as, as seventh graders from Luke and Levi, we, we hear a lot of this. Well, this buddy gets to, uh, gets to do this, and this friend gets to watch this. Uh, And this friend, he gets to, he, he's allowed to have this. How many, how many parents are are like, y'all, y'all like resonating? Amen. Yep. Uh, it, It happens. And they, so our twins as, as, uh, 12, almost 13-year-old little dudes who uh, really are becoming young men are, are realizing very quickly they are more and more aware that they are living uh, their lives differently than their buds. And so when, uh, when they lament this fact, uh, they get to hear mom and dad uh, graciously uh, tell them like, Oh no, you guys are, you guys are different. Praise God. <laughs> they love it when we do that. They love that. They don't love that at all. Um, but our goal, our goal as parents, it, it, it's, not, it's not our kids' assimilation into the culture. Amen? It's not. It, it, our, our goal for them is to know and follow Jesus. Our our goal for them is to uh, for our twins is for them to grow up to be men, young men men who who uh, live as lights in the darkness around them and and, and so if you asked Daniel uh, and and his three Hebrew friends uh, Azariah Hananiah and Mishael their Hebrew names in Daniel one if if they if they loved being the only men who went against the grain of culture uh, in their day I, I'm sure that they would have appreciated a larger remnant than four dudes. Like uh, I'm, I'm certain of it. Uh, but their, their minds were resolved, and they understood that, that following God and being obedient to His word meant living counterculturally. Amen? Like that's If you follow Jesus, you're going to be a countercultural people. James 4.4, 4, James says it like this. He's a little rougher. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so here's, here's the question for you, Christian, as we, as we jump into Acts 17 this morning. Is your goal to be accepted by the world or is your goal faithfulness to Jesus? Is your goal to be accepted by the world or is your goal faithfulness to Jesus? If, if, your, if your friendship with the world overrides the faithfulness of your witness, then you may, you may need to examine if your mind has been transformed by Gospel renewal or if you are consumed with cultural conformity. And this morning... I appreciate you, Scotty. This morning, we need more of that. We look at Paul's mission to Thessalonica and what it is to be a countercultural people. And so as we as we dive into the text, first point this morning, as we look at verses one through three, is this church, family, Christian, you put in the reps. You put put in the reps. And I'm going to break down R-E-P-S in a minute. Uh, I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him, put in the reps. <laughs> look at your other neighbor, tell him, put in the reps. There we go. Verses one through three says this. They had passed through Amphipolis um, and Apollonia and they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scripture, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I am proclaimed to you is the Christ. So. Is is we ended Acts chapter sixteen. Paul and Silas were in Philippi, but but here Acts seventeen finds them making the one hundred mile trek uh, through Ampefilis through Apollonia uh, down the, the uh, down the Via Ignatia, which is this large twenty foot wide across Roman road all the way into the capital of Macedonia, which was Thessalonica. and, and, and so as they get into town, as was his normal custom. Them, Paul rolls up to the Jewish synagogue. He, he, he always, where there was a synagogue, Paul always started his, uh, with his ministry at the Jewish synagogue because he was striving to help his people, Israel, connect the dots by connecting Christ to the Old Testament. And, but historically, we know that Paul spent more than just these three Sabbath days uh, in the synagogue. He stayed a lot longer, ultimately relocating his ministry away from the synagogue so that he could teach, so that he could disciple both Jews and Gentiles. In church, as, as Paul, as he rolled up, he, we've talked about this before, he had a strategy, Paul had a strategy. He didn't just kind of meander into town uh, and and look to chop it up uh, with just anybody in Thessalonica about Jesus. Paul had a plan, and here's the thing. Paul put in the reps. He put in the reps. Reps meaning, wait for it, ready? Y'all are going to love this. He reasoned, he explained, and he proved, right? Right? I'm a dad, I got lots of dad jokes. There's a dad acronym for you, okay? So so he he rolls in and he put in the reps. He reasoned, he explained, and he proved from the Bible Jesus was who he says he was. I want you to look at your neighbor, tell him, put in the reps. So so as as some of you, many of you know, I over the course of the spring, uh, I, I built out a, a gym in our in the Brooks garage. And we affectionately, we affectionately dubbed it R.C. S- uh, Swolls, and, uh, and so this weekend, uh, R.C. Swole's, ripped and reformed. And so we, uh, <laughs> we, we, uh, we had our good friends, we had our dear friends, the Griffins, in, in town this weekend. So we even had some junior Swole's who uh, were, were hitting the weights over the weekend, uh, Isaac and Levi. Uh, Isaac was just smashing the weight. Uh, but but you know here's the thing when somebody when somebody's new to working out often the the natural response to resistance is to panic right. It is it is to panic. It's to it's to lose heart, or or just to outright give up. And, and when it comes when it comes especially to lifting weights, when you hit resistance, you you got to remember, and you got to if you got a spotter, you got to remember you've got him there. You you got to trust that he's going to be able to pick up the weight that you that you cannot bear. And so you, you know, in, in the same way, uh, Christian, as we talk about doing the reps, you got to remember, like you you've got to. Pre- Pretty incredible spotter, right? You got the best spotter in the world. You've got the the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you and empowering you. Amen. And in exercise, listen, with exercise, you you persevere, you you put in the reps, and in and, and the gains will come. Well, here's what Paul understood. Paul understood that to get gospel gains, he had to put in the reps. Amen? He had, he had to reason, he had to explain, and he had to prove from the Scriptures. I want to I break down some of those words in the Greek. The, the word reason, it's this Greek word, uh, dialegomai, it means to converse or to discuss in the sense is to examine something with others. So when you reason, you're examining something with others. It, and then Paul explained, it's this, this Greek word, dionoigo. It means to open, uh, to explain, or to interpret. In the sense, is to open something up in a way that, that makes it clearly visible. We, we see this Greek word in Luke 24, where Jesus was, was walking on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples. And, and, and it says He opened up the Scriptures. And then later, the same word is used when their eyes were opened up to who they were walking with as they took communion with their Lord. And then Paul proved in the group, in the, in the Greek, it's this word party party, and, and, and to prove means to literally means to set before or to place beside in the sense is this, you were providing evidence for something, you were providing evidence for something. See, for for Israel is Paul started in a synagogue for Israel. They they had missed the significance of the Old Testament prophecies regard their Messiah and, and regarding the suffering servant, they, Israel had no box for a Messiah king who would come and suffer and lay down his life. And, and so no doubt, uh, Paul used passages like Psalms 2 and, and, and Psalm 16, Psalm 110, Isaiah 53, and, and probably others to prove from, scriptures that the, from the Scriptures that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah. And it was through Jesus' death on the cross that the penalty was, for sin was paid for and the, the, the justice of, of God that He demanded was met. It was through the resurrection. That's what the resurrection demonstrated, that final victory over sin and death. Tony Morita says this, he says this, Paul reasoned from the Scriptures. Morita says he, he didn't use the Bible in a superficial or mystical way. Instead, he spoke rationally, logically, and cogently to his audience. Church fam, everything Paul laid out was rooted in the Word of God. As he reasoned, as he explained, as he proved, it was rooted in the Word of God. He, he, was, he wasn't pointing people to blogs. He wasn't pointing people to outside books or resources or podcasts or sermons or, or TED Talks. He pointed to the Scriptures. Amen? He pointed to the Bible. I mean, he didn't just exposit the Bible for the sake of... of explaining the Bible, he understood that the Bible points to Jesus. The purpose of the Scriptures is to point us to Jesus Christ. Paul, some, Paul also understood something that we, that we forget in our culture today. Listen, we, we forget uh, that to share the Gospel, you need to be ready to have a back and forth, Amen. To share the gospel. Like you, you, you need to be ready to have this back and forth. 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us that the word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. We, we talked about this in our small group, in our MCG this, this past Tuesday night. Like, there's no version of the resurrection that is like more palatable for somebody who's just a naturalist, right? Like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, rise from the dead. Got it. Hey, there's no version of that that it's like palatable for, for a naturalist or for someone who's rejecting the lordship of Jesus and just wants self autonomy and self sovereignty over their life. But Paul. Paul counted the cost and was ready to engage with others. And, and this is, church family, this is it's so countercultural because here's what, here's what happens. The culture today just says, hey, you do you, right? It's counterculture because culture says you do you. Hey, your truth is your truth. Right. listen, don't don't be don't be making culture says don't be making folks uncomfortable. Don't be don't be pushing your faith on others. Oh, okay. But that 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 really flies in the face of numerous New Testament passages commanding Christ followers to open up their mouths and share their faith and to proclaim Jesus and to make disciples. And so so don't don't be a jerk for Jesus, but know know this, if someone's quote unquote truth is leading them down a path of destruction in an eternity separated from a loving and gracious God, you should probably be willing to give some pushback. That's all I'm saying. It's countercultural. It's countercultural. Paul, Paul says this. He tells them this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. In the Greek, that, that word proclaim, katangelo, it means to make known openly. To make known openly. So, church, let's, let's quit apologizing for evangelism. Like we're, like, we're, we're, too, we're too nice, right? It's good to it's good to consider others, but but ultimately loving others like the best way to love others is is to um, point them to the solution for their sin. But we're too focused on uh, not not interrupting uh, personal comfort or 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 like cultural all you know. Breaking all the cultural mores and and listen, the gospel that we've forgotten, the gospel is fantastic news, but redemption is still jarring for those who are in rebellion against God. So you must be willing, Christian, to to reason. To explain and to prove the gospel. Second thing this morning, as we look at verses four through six, is that God God provides the results. Amen? God provides the results. And I'm going to read verses 4 through 6, but I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him, God provides the results. Provides the results. Look at your other neighbor, neighbor tell him, God provides, the God provides the results. Awesome. Verse 4, some of them, they were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason. They, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have turned, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. See, verse four reveals that. Some of them were, were persuaded. They were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas. So, so following, if, if you're following the text, following their Paul reasoning and explaining and proving, they, were, they were, became convinced of, of the veracity of his truth claims. And it wasn't, listen, it wasn't just a Jewish contingent. Once again, we, we see the gospel bringing together a diverse group of people. Amen? And that's what's going on all throughout Acts. Jews, Greeks, and even some of the leading women of the city, they believed the gospel of Paul, the gospel message of Paul. Verse 5, though, points to another reality. Look at verse 5. While some responded to the gospel favorably, others were incensed. Like they they were they were ticked. And the irony the irony of verse five and six is that the Jews they they accuse Paul of turning the world upside down. Uh, in the Greek, it literally means to to disturb or to drub, trouble or to upset. But it's the Jews who who literally hire a mob. They hire a mob to stir up the city. They attack the house of Jason where Paul was staying, and they drag out the Christians to the authorities. But it's Paul who is turning the world upside down. Church family, don't, don't miss, don't miss a key truth from these verses. Here part of what's going on is we we put in the gospel uh, reps, but God, God provides the results it it's god who works in the hearts of men amen and and so while we're called to be faithful we cannot control the fruit we can't control the fruit uh, over the last 18 months is, is is restoration has has grown and god has blessed the growth of the church uh, i'll have pastors and and different folks in ministry uh come and say hey wh- man what what are you guys what are you guys doing? Like, what are you, what are y'all doing over there? And, and like the mischievous part of me, uh, which is like a large part of me, uh, <laughs> who likes to jack with people, uh, uh, I, I'm tempted at times to say, man, you know what? It's the craziest thing. We added, we added a second fog machine, um, <laughs> in a in a light show to our worship, and just, just it's crazy, exploded, right? Oh, or, or my, my personal fave, uh, we, you know, I, I really want to use this one. We listen. It's it's wild. We started. We just started handing out cash to our visitors as a thank you, and uh, and they started bringing their friends. It's really. It was wild. No. <laughs> Oh, here's what we tell people, right? Here's what we tell people. We, we do the exact same thing we did seven and a half years ago when Restoration met on 24th Street in downtown Bryan and had 22 people in our worship service. We preach the Bible and we point to Jesus, amen? We pre, we open up the Word of God, and we point to Jesus, and we we multiply uh, imperfect small groups, but we multiply small groups who make disciples. We serve our city, and that's it. But we focus on faithfulness and trust that God that God will supply the fruit. Amen. But even even this is it's countercultural. See. <laughs> Karma culture says that you you put in good and and you get good back. Always, right? That's kind of like this... Karma, culture, mindsets—like you put in good, and and you're gonna get. And I and I hear I hear well-meaning Christians like repeat that and say it. But listen, that, that if that's our if that's our mindset, we assume oh, uh, people they're they're gonna hear the gospel and they're gonna they're gonna respond and trust Jesus. And and if I just love them enough, they'll they'll know us by our love. And and that's true. It's true. Some will respond and trust Jesus, but but some will hate you even more. Some will hate you even more. And so we got to check our expectations and and not fall into this trap of people-pleasing and not wanting to rock the boat. Church, Jesus rocked the boat. Amen? Jesus rocked the boat. And if, if the rejection of people dissuades you from obeying God, you're not very much like Jesus. Let me say that again. If the rejection of people dissuades you from obeying God, you're not very much like Jesus. So focus. Focus on those gospel reps, right? Focus on reasoning and explaining and proving from the Scriptures Jesus. But then leave, leave the results to God. Remember Jesus' words from John 15 where... John 15, 18 through 19, Jesus said this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Christian. If if you will be faithful over the course of your lifetime, many people around you will come to place saving faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? If you will be faithful with your lives and with your lips to proclaim Christ, many people will come to know Christ crucified for their sin and resurrected. But you know what? Many more might reject you and your message. And they, and they might even stand opposed to you. And I know like culturally, culturally we're like, oh, no, right? And, it, and it, might, it might make you uncomfortable and it might, it might be hard, but listen, that's okay because you are called to trust God with the results. You just be faithful. Amen? You don't live for the applause and the approval of man. You live for the glory of Jesus. You live for the glory of Jesus who, who bought you and, and, and paid for your salvation and your life with His precious blood. Third thing this morning as we look at, at verses 7 through 9, we see God not only provides the results, but God's got, God pulls rank, right? God's, God's got to, he's got to pull rank. He's the main thing. He, he is Lord. He is sovereign. We see that in verses 7 through 9. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him God pulls rank. God pulls rank. Look at your other neighbor tell him God pulls rank. God <laughs> so, church, let's look at verse 7 through 9. It says this. And Jason received them, and they were all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed. They're disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. See, church, verses 7-9 through It's is a, is a microcosm of the effects of Christianity on the Roman Empire despite what 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 they were accusing them of there there was no coup there was no there was no revolution there was no uprising and over the course of the next decades to come, really over the course of the next 300 years, the Gospel would slowly take root in the hearts and lives of men and women, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, and it transformed the Roman Empire from the inside out. Amen? And in verse 7, we find the allegation they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. They're acting against the decrees of Caesar. Notice the reason. It's because they were saying that there is another king, King Jesus. <laughs> and, and I love verse 8. Verse 8, like it, it shook the authorities. It shook the authorities because they didn't have a category for a people or a person who, who answered to another Lord other than Caesar. They, they didn't have a category for that. See, when it came, when it came to Paul, Silas, and the early church, God, God pulled rank, amen? And we, we would be good to, be, uh, to remember this today. Uh, here, Restoration fam, here's the application. Ready? Our, our, our devotion is first to Christ, Amen? Our devotion is first to Christ. Our loyalty takes precedence over Caesar. And this, too, listen, this, too, I get it. It's, it's countercultural. Uh, like, I know, hear me. Like, and I'm just going to dive into the weeds here. I, I know right now that it's like the, it's like the hardcore conservative right that is being marketed as the only nationalist. But, church, wake up. There are people on, on both the left and the right who genuinely believe that their politics and their ideology is the cure for all of societal ills, right? Like on, on both sides. But this world, listen, scripture is so clear. This world as it's currently constructed is not, it's not our home. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. Jesus, Jesus, as He stood before Pilate and was about to lay down His life, said this, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. I had a guy... I had a guy over who was doing some work on our house a couple of months ago and, and and we got to we got to chopping it up and and he he knew he knew that I was a pastor and so we're talking and at one point he sincerely like he he gets this look on his face and, and he he looked over and sincerely asked me pastor do you do you think do you really think like are are, are democrats christians <laughs> yeah I laughed, I, I, and then I realized he was being serious. Uh, the reality is that I, I, I have friends. I count as friends, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ, folks, all over the spectrum when it comes to politics. And here's the thing. It's okay. It's okay to have political convictions about the best way that you think our country needs to be run. Just make sure that your convictions and your opinions and your ideologies bow their knee to the scriptures. Amen. And don't and don't conflate America or, or any other nation for that matter with the kingdom of God, because until the return of King Jesus, until the final judgment, until the resurrection, every earthly kingdom is going to fall woefully short of the justice and righteousness required by God. And that, that is why you point to King Jesus. That is why you point to King Jesus, not your political party, not your not your leader, not your leaders. It's why you live out the character and the ethic of a kingdom to come, because you're giving the world a taste of what Jesus will ultimately and finally usher in. But you got to. You gotta quit looking for broken men and broken women to fix the brokenness of our world. And if you're like, well, this, this doesn't this doesn't apply to me, you know, it's it's the other, it's the other party, right? It's the other group. It oh, it's my buddy so and so, who 98.4% of his posts are political. Okay. But check yourself because your functional Caesar is who you are looking to for sovereignty over your circumstances. There's your functional Caesar. Your functional Lord is who you're looking to to solve all the problems. That's that's your functional Lord. The early church was unashamed. Unashamed to profess that Jesus was Lord, even when everybody else was saying Caesar is Lord. Christ alone was sovereign over their lives. And Christ alone was the solution to the sin problem that was and is rooted in the heart of all people. All people. I'll close with this and we're done. Merrill Unger said this about Paul being accused of turning the world upside down. Unger said, that... Is one of the greatest compliments which has ever been paid to Christianity. We are called, listen, we are called to be a countercultural people who, who point the world to this countercultural message rooted in the person and work of Jesus. I'm so grateful for our, our youth ministries, our, our youth ministry leaders at Restoration. I, I'm grateful for the rights. I'm grateful for Jai. Uh, I, I'm grateful for Mason and all of our Thursday night volunteers. Uh, I, I don't confession. I don't I don't miss my youth ministry days. <laughs> I'm too, I'm too old. Uh, I'm too old, y'all. I, I I knew I needed to get out of youth ministry when when students would be like, "Hey, do you do you want to organize some paintball?" And I'm like, "No, <laughs> I don't. I want, I want you to open your Bible and follow Jesus." <laughs> but I, I remember. I remember as a youth pastor going to conferences and camps and I would hear these speakers and they would say it like with the best of intentions, right? They would look out over like a conference with like a thousand teenagers and they, they would tell them like, students, like you're, you are going to change the world. Students, it's your, your generation is the one. Your generation is going to do it. And, and like we, we've got multiple generations that have gone through youth ministry and we keep saying this. And here's my thought on that church fam we need to stop telling every generation that they're going to change the world and remind them that it's Jesus who changes the world so, so to the extent that, that a generation's lives are filled with Jesus and that generation, uh, their, their lives are filled with the power of Jesus and the character of Jesus and, and the message of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus, that is what will change the world. So let's stop, let's stop perpetuating this false narrative that a certain generation's giftedness or their resources or their knowledge or their ability will change the world. We cannot do what Christ alone came to accomplish. Church, let's put in the reps. Let's reason. Let's reason. And explain and prove from the Bible that Jesus is who he says he is while while our lives reflect his character, right? Because there can't be a disconnect between this and your life. Let's trust, let's trust God with the results. And let's live for King Jesus alone. Amen. Now pray with me this morning.